Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Running Effect podcast with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host, Dominic, and today back on the podcast is the most listened to man in the history of the show. His name is Yasin Abdallah, and given that he's the most listened to man in the history of the show, many of you know and love him. For those who aren't familiar with Yasin, he went from a 2440-something 5K in high school to NCAA champion at the University of Texas. He then transferred to the University of Tennessee, where he has continued to be dominant in the NCAA and truly push forward the sport through his performances on the grass and on the track. And more importantly, Yasin just has so much wisdom that he displays in these conversations, which is why I think you guys love him so much. So today is no exception. Yasin shares so much wisdom and advice and inspiration and guidance from his past few months and just his thoughts on different subjects that I throw his way. So I hope you all enjoyed today's episode as much as we did having it. A quick note, though, before we hop into it, many of you listening right now, in fact, even a majority of you listening right now, have not given us a follow in a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And given you're already listening to the show right now, it will legitimately take between five and 10 seconds to hit the follow button and hit the five-star review review button. Doing those two things greatly helps us out, so I'd appreciate you doing so if you have not done so already. And then something all of you can do is share today's show or the podcast in general with someone who you think would benefit from it. Greatly appreciate you guys doing those things. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode with the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, Yassine Abdallah. Ladies and gentlemen, kicking it back with the most listened to man in the history of the Running Effect podcast, the man's name is Yassine Abdallah. I'm doing good. What about you? Doing good, man. I'm I'm stoked to make this happen. You know, I've been texting you this past month, like, hey, when are we running it back? Because I get a DM from like a new kid every week to get you back on the podcast. So <laughs> an absolute pleasure to have you on. I guess I'm going to start out this podcast on a deep note. I came across a quote last week that I really found impactful and I've been kind of chewing on it. And I want to I want to hear your takes because you seems a, a man of depth. So I want to hear what you have to say. The quote was, everybody wants the quick fix but nobody realizes that the quickest fix is the longest path. I mean, there's two ways to look at that. You can look at it like uh, if you do manage to get there in a shortcut, you haven't learned what you need to learn. That's why there's so many flashes in the pan, especially in this sport where talent can carry you farther than thinking. Like it takes, you know, 10 pounds of thinking to do with like what a gram of uh, talent can do. Like guys who have come up and been good for a year, just because, you know, things clicked for a second and they were talented. That's sort of the quick fix. That's what everyone dreams of, right? But they're the guys who fall off, who people are clowning on. You know, they have different challenges and it's not as easy as just being good. Because once you're good, you have to stay good. Like I talked about it in the last podcast, but, you know, for guys who aren't as good at the start, what you get in exchange is like, now that I'm good, I could, you know, I believe I could keep myself you know, very, very fit for very, very long. Whereas guys like Dylan, he's this really smart runner. He might be the exception to guys like who have been good forever. He knows why he's good. He knows how to keep himself good. <clears throat> and that's why he won Foot Locker, and now he's still winning NCAAs, whereas, you know, there was some people consider there to be a curse around Foot Locker where you win there and then you're done. Foot Locker's a high school race. I mean, I assume everyone knows that, but yeah. So the quick fix is like, in this sport is talent. And I think it's really, really important to take the long path because once you've done it, you can replicate it, especially if it takes time and you're making mistakes. But if you're just guessing, you're just guessing. 
From your experience and perspective, do you think the long path is more beneficial and influential because of the lessons you learn learn along the way from being horrible at it and working through some of those different experiences and emotions and more importantly, hard work to get to where you want to be? I absolutely think so because there are so many guys who are hit it off once, everything's perfect for them, the right program, the right coaches, the right support around them, right team, and they can get it done once or they can get it done never, you know, after high school or after one success. But me, you know, I succeeded at Texas under a different coaching, came here, immediately succeeded again. And, you know, there's still kinks. It's never perfect. Like I went 13 for four miles fighting, which is bad and hard too. It wasn't an easy 1344. So nothing's perfect, but the people who like I can learn and adapt and I have learned and adapt and it's been six years of learning and adapting. And now I know how to, you know, treat the issue at the root. And I'm pretty fit right now. SEC's went very well. Probably get into that later. But yeah. Yeah, let's go right into SECs. So this past weekend was the SEC championships. You just ran the 10K, is that correct? I ran the 10K and then I paced the five. Okay. Paced I mean, uh, yeah, I paced it. So the 10K, you play second. Take me through that race and overall your experiences running your first uh, SEC's track. Ugh, I mean, we knew it was just going to be me and Victor Kiprop once the, once the, um, what's it called, declarations came out. And I was like, I'm going to have to try and break him. Because indoor, I was, I'd consider myself the favorite going in, and then he beat me. And then I was down bad. I was down bad after that race for a while. But coming into outdoor, I did not, you know, there was no illusions that I was better than him. I thought I thought I could beat him, obviously. But if you ask me, like I said, he was the favorite. And then going into it, we had a pacer to make it sort of fast. But it didn't really work too well. We made sure it wasn't like a 33-minute race, but we still went 30 minutes. And so we came through 15-15, I think, just jogging. And so my plan was to go with 800 before the race started. But he was sitting kind of far back uh, early on, and I felt good. And I lost in a kick indoor where we just sat and sat and sat. And then like, he picked it up, and I just covered, 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 and then you know, lost by a little uh, and face-planted by a lot. And then, uh, so this race, I wanted to make sure at least if I lose, I'm going to come out of it knowing I'm, you know, in very, very good shape. Uh, because if I lost and we just closed in like 55 or 56 or whatever, 54, I was going to be in the same spot as indoor if I just waited for a kick and then lost. And then I was going to have none of the confidence that I thought I, that I wanted to have. But we closed in 259 for 1200. I was in the front. He took the lead with a mile to go and held it for a lap. And then I took it. And I wanted to get the jump on him. Wanted to I wanted to get the jump on him. I wanted to see if I could get, get doubt in his head, right? And make it hard. At least if I'm gonna lose, it's gonna be hard. But um yeah, so we ended up going 61, 60, and then I went 57 on at the end. He went 55. So I didn't beat him, but I mean he's a really, really good one. I didn't feel like I got gypped or anything like I did indoor or I messed up. You know, he was just better than me on the day. And then the 5K, we were expecting a lot more competition. Uh, it was the other Kiprop, Patrick Kiprop of Arkansas in there with Dylan. And then we were just coming through 65s. I was supposed to pace 66s, but I felt good. And Dylan's fit. And the purpose was not for like a time trial. It was just to break people. So I think I was going 65 and 64 and 63. And then Kiprop started getting gapped. So I slowed down to like 64, 66. And 
and uh, and yeah, everyone was gone. And with as I'm about to step off with at 3K, I'm feeling good. But you know, my intention is not to just get a random medal. So I was planning on stepping off the whole time, and we had, we hadn't discussed me finishing unless we were in the team title hopes, like team title, but we weren't because Arkansas had a really good meet. So I just stepped off, and as I'm stepping off, Carlson's like, "Oh, you can keep going if you want to." I don't want to keep going. I, I I was good pacing, but um, I felt good. Maybe I should have stayed in. You know, I've always been a little too aggressive. They said on the uh, live stream that, "Oh, Yasin's the more aggressive training partner." You know, so. I'm trying to learn while I'm here and be more conservative. So, you know, we live and learn. That's what I'm talking about when I say the long road teaches you things. I've made a lot of mistakes trying to be to do too much in too too little time. You mentioned that that indoor race at indoor SECs. Uh, take me through that race and how you bounce back from the ending of that of that race. Uh, I don't really get upset about races where I just don't have it, or because I feel like that's on the coaching. Uh, some people like Carlson sometimes says like you either have it or you don't. So it's like he thinks it's a mix of coaching and like grit. I've always felt like it's just coach. You know, I'm gritty when I've been coached well, but whatever. Sometimes the stuff doesn't click. Uh, and when that doesn't happen, like indoor nationals, I, th- I was a little dead from the 3K, uh, probably a little demoralized from the DQ and the DMR. So the 3K, I wasn't that upset. Like I ran a good race, maybe checked out a little at the end, but. Like, it wasn't in me to whatever, get top five. Maybe I could have got eight. But indoor SECs, you know, I'm the favorite. It's like the first race I think ever in my life that I messed up to lose. Because I've always been an underdog or just completely out of it and won or, like, never expected to win. So no harm, no foul. But this race, I am I feel like I'm the favorite. Uh, people are ranking me as a favorite. And I go into it, you know, very confident. Usually I'm not confident in races. But as the moves start getting made, Carlson tells me, be patient, be patient, be patient. So I'm just covering, covering. I think Patrick Kiprop went with a K, and we've just been walking up to that. Patrick Kiprop goes with a K, and then he has it for two laps, and then he's gassed. Uh, Alabama, uh, Victor Kiprop takes it, and I'm covering. And I don't expect, I don't expect him to have as much as he did. But I'm just covering, I'm covering, and you know, I haven't been in a tactical race like that where the moves matter. Usually everyone's broken. I've broken everyone, or they've broken me before it gets to like the line and stuff. So when it got to that point, I was like, just covering, I was like, I guess I'll pass on the last turn. And on the back stretch of the last lap, my arm got caught with him, like a Missouri or something, guys, arm was getting lapped. And then going into the actual last 50, the home stretch, I'm just like breaking form, desperate. I'm thinking I've got to have him because he's not a 1500 guy or whatever, mile. So I'm like, I got to have him. And I just start leaving too early. <laughs> and the fall is like, I don't really care about the fall. It's just that I messed. I feel like I could have won that race. If I, like, if I could do it over. But you can't do it over. Good learning experience. I was pretty down bad for like a little bit after that. But now I'm good. You said you were down bad after that. I think that's a feeling that every listener can relate to, at least at some point in their career, where they have a race that they had high expectations, high hopes for, they're prepared for it, and they fumble the bag. They don't do what they set out to do. And it can be kind of a hard road building that confidence back up from those tough performances and days. So how did you personally build back up your confidence and kind of regain the composure necessary to attack it again? I mean, you have to have a short-term memory. I was upset because I messed up. It didn't make me any less of a good runner. And I always think about, like, 
when something bad happens, you know, it's not as bad if you learn from it. So if I learn something in that race that makes sure it never happens again, then it was worth having the bad race. That's what I tell myself. Oh, I've learned not to do this, and now I'll make sure it doesn't happen. Uh, my coaches, like this last weekend, were saying maybe you should have waited till the last 400 with Kiprop. But I'm like, that's what I did indoor. And if you never change anything, you're going to be in the same spot forever. So I went with whatever 200, whatever it was, 100 to go. Didn't work. Now I go with 1,200 to go, just ripping. Didn't work. Maybe I'll like lead into 400 to go or something. Make the first move next time. You know what I mean? It's all about adapting. Uh, and I really don't think, I mean, I was in the trenches, but it didn't affect my training. Like I said in one of my videos, uh, if I'm upset, I still train. If I'm uh, confused, I still train. If I'm worried, I still train. Uh, and that allows me to stay. Like the workouts will give me the confidence back if I can't get it myself. So I'm still getting better every day. And going into the next race, you know, it's, I mean, he didn't qualify for nationals. That kind of, that's the kind of stuff I was thinking. I'm internationals. I'm making steps. Like, not everything has to happen at once. All that came together to, you know, it was still a very good season. So, you know, it made it much easier to bounce back in if everything was going wrong. Just one bad race. Speaking of a really tough race and period for you was last year's NCAA regional meet where you didn't qualify for that outdoor national meet, which I know broke your heart. So I want to go through that as you go into this year's regional meet. You know, again, one of the top guys in the country definitely are in position to make the meet. Does that still haunt you a little bit? And how have you kind of overcome those doubts and those fears from last year? Uh, I mean, in retrospect, it was just so obvious what I was doing wrong, but it's like it couldn't be avoided. There's no doubts. It's just I'm a very systematic guy. Like if you look back on the outdoor season I had, I think I raced four or five Ks before conference and like DMRs and 15s and a 10K, which is all out. Like I was racing too much. And Carlson loves to clown my, like, I used to do a lot of, you know, unorthodox training. Like I do uh, four to six workouts a week, which is a lot. Now we do two. And one of them's uh, medium effort. But I would do four a week. And that worked indoor because I raced like two times. But when you're doing four workouts a week, and then like we had nationals, we won the DMR. Twelve, uh, two, ten days later, we do a, I do a 5K DMR double then six days later i run a 15 and two weeks later i run a 10 hardest race of my life so all that stuff and then blah blah blah. i race another five solo race another five dead bounce back for conference trying to hold it and just all that stuff uh came together to make it so like i'm gonna blow up at some point i'm honestly very i was gassed before conference so i'm glad i had a good conference race but you know it's what i'm what i've talked about learning like if any i've learned anything here at tennessee Every, everything's so much more conservative when your coach, you know, knows what he's talking about. Like he's always holding us back and we're always like, Oh, shut up, shut up. We've got this. And he's like, no, you're being dumb. It's too much. It's too much, too much versus other coaches. Oh yeah. Push race, race, race in practice. That's not how you get your guys good. Unless they're, and even if it works, it's because the guy's talented, not because the coaching is good. So the regional meet was done before it happened. So even when I, as I was racing, I was like, ah, I didn't have it. It was like a flip of a coin. I might have it today, and I didn't either day. And uh, the Tennessee guys actually they give me a lot of crap for getting last in the 10K, but you have to, if you're running the five, you have to finish the 10. And the 10 was done, done at like 5K. But that's what I say about being gritty. You know, I feel like being gritty just comes with good coaching. Like I'm tougher when I'm in it. Like at 5K, I'm hurting, and I just shut down there. 
But in the DMR, Carlson says, I look gritty. And we had a dual meet last year. Uh, I got gapped, closed in 13 seconds. One, uh, and we perfect scored the 15 by like 0.02. I beat some guy, some A&M guy. You know what I mean? Like you can look gritty at times and you can look like a nobody at other times. And I think it just comes with coaching. How are you kind of rebounding from that experience last year going into this year's regional meet and how you feeling overall going into it? I'm very confident, especially after SECs. I'm, I'm good now about taking the bad results in stride. Like I told uh, Jonathan Chung of A&M this weekend, uh, the first step to being good all the time is being good sometimes. And that's what I'm trying to do now, I'm trying to be good all the time. And so 1344 here, not good. 742 here, really good. And then some more mediocre results, or like not mediocre, but like mid-tier. The 10K was a good test of fitness, even though the time wasn't good. That kind of stuff is helping me get the confidence that a guy like Dylan has, where if Dylan, this 5K, ran an all-out 1440, which would never happen. He ran a really bad race. He, it, it would not affect him at all mentally. He'd be making jokes about it. He'd still think he's that guy, stuff like that, which is where I'm trying to get. But, you know, off of a performance like SEC's, I felt very good. I'm not really worried about regionals. Obviously, anything could go wrong. But, like, I'm going into it with confidence. But if it had been the 1344 was my last race, that would have been uh, a little bit more difficult. But you just have to trust your training and understand that trust your training and know that like when you get results that bad like the bad races are way harder than the good ones so don't let it get to you because the good ones will still come and they'll be easy i know for a fact from our interactions and from our responses that you have a growth mindset and you view obstacles as an opportunity and there's a saying that i i've struggled with and wrestled with but i do tend to agree with it that there are no failures only lessons what are your thoughts on that kind of perspective and that mindset of constantly seeing things good or bad as opportunities to become better? Uh, I think that I realized this mm, maybe December when my dad died, like everything else that has happened, I never felt like anything's the end. And that's why I've been able to keep going because like if I lose a race, it's not the end of my career. You know what I mean? Until it's the end of my career. So I'm going to adapt until I can't. And that's when it's sad when there's nothing else you can do. Yeah, I can understand how it can be. That's a failure when you're done. But if I have a bad race in California like I did, and I go 1344, it's not over. It's actually like an inconsequential race. Even if I went to nationals and got last, and I think Cooper Tier had strep or something in 2019 and got lapped, even if I had that kind of performance, you know where Cooper Tier is now, you know what I mean? He's one of the best pros, American pros. These kind of performances, you let them get to you, and they can break you, but what you should use them as is fuel. Nothing's over until it's genuinely, you can't do anything. You know what I mean? And that's how I make sure that I keep growing. How important is it to you to keep striving and keep working and keep pushing, even in those moments of doubts or in those, in those moments of pain, you know, in those moments of embarrassment, to keep working, put your head down, double down on what you're doing, and, and become better from those experiences? It's very important to make sure that even if you're down, like, you can sulk, or you can, like, even when you're happy, you can be happy. When you're down, you can sulk like sulk while still working and then make a decision after you're done sulking. You know what I mean? You don't want to cry and then 
like lock yourself in your room, no running or no doing whatever you want to do. Because what's the point? Sulk while still going. Then when you're over it, okay, yeah, that was bad. I don't want to do it anymore. That's the time to make a decision. You don't want to make decisions when you're when you're hurting mentally or physically because that's when you're the most irrational. And I think that's one of the things that's helped me. I don't make if I'm feeling really good, um, like I'll I'll never lock any decision in. If I'm feeling really bad, I'll never lock any decision. You have to wait till you're grounded. And that's allowed me to rebound. And that's the most important thing towards my success has been the ability to rebound and just ignore the failures and almost ignore the successes, celebrate a little. I think keep it pushing. I think a lot of people when something bad happens, that's where their mind resides in. That's all they think about, and they live in the past, and they live in the moment, and that that attitude makes it impossible to grow and to move on from it. And there's a saying I came across last week that is hands down one of the most influential things I've ever come across. And the saying was, the past is a place of reference, not a place of residence. And it's something that you can reference and should reference, both the good and the bad, but you should never stay in it. What are your thoughts on that? Not staying in the past, not residing in the past, but using it as a reference, whether it's good or bad, positive or negative. Yeah, the only thing that's substantive is the present, the past, and the future. You, you know, the only way you can affect the future is with the present, and you can't do anything for the past. So why not just focus on the present? Uh, I think I've I've learned a lot. Like, there's not many races I regret. Uh, there's zero races. There's the only race I think I regret is the the MRDQ because you know my teammates didn't get their trophies. But other than that, you know, I wouldn't change anything in I wouldn't change a thing in my career. Like some of the worst races I've had. Regionals, like the like yeah, it was an embarrassing race. But I learned from it. I don't know if I would have transferred if I had run well. You know what I mean? So everything happens for a reason. And we, they make some funny jokes when they're coming after me for getting last in the 10K. They make some funny jokes. So something came out of it. I think a lot of this largely boils down to your mindset and to your thoughts. And I think you're blessed to have whatever people in your life or experiences in your life that have kind of made this mindset happen for you. Uh, I, you should be grateful for it because it's the correct mindset to have. And you're clearly doing really well off of it and having the right experience and the right mindset. And that's why so many people listen to you and so many people reshare the podcast post, you know, when it's released because you have a lot of wisdom uh, and, and people saw that in the first episode. So I think this largely boils down to mindset and beliefs. And there was a quote uh, that I think encapsulates this about the conversations we've, we have with ourselves and the thoughts that we have. And the quote was from David Goggins, who I really look up to. A lot of people do. He's, he's funny, too. And he said, the most important conversation is the one you have with yourself. You wake up with it, walk around with it, and go to bed with it. Eventually, you act on it. You have to change the internal dialogue. And I'm a firm believer of that as well, that you have to change the internal to influence and change the external. So how important is that for you to be aware of those negative thoughts or those doubts and kind of, you know, as David said, you know, work on that conversation you're having with yourself every single day? I think the way I think is a lot like the way I race. I discussed this with my coaches after the 10K when they were talking about the move I made from 1200 out, they were calling it really aggressive, maybe too far out. And I said, I decided before the race, or not before the race, before the race I was gonna go with 800. But like at 5K, I told Carl, who's also in the race, I'm going with three laps to go. And that, I told them, they disagreed, allows me to make the move from farther out than I could go if I decided in the moment, right? 
So if I said I'm going to go from, like, let's say I'm fit enough to go from 1,200 out. If I'm sitting in the race deciding as I go, I'm not going to feel like I'm fit enough to go 1,200 out if I decide in the race. I'll go with, like, a K or 800. But if you decide early and then hold yourself to it, this is the same way I raced in high school. This is how all my best races have happened. Is like I'll pick a spot to move or I'll pick a way to race before it. And that'll let me like use my fitness to the fullest. Whereas if someone's as fit as me and they're reacting, you know what I mean? They're not going to think they can do it with 1200 and they'll hesitate. I think Kip Up was way fitter than me. It was way fitter than me. So it ended up, you know, being a non factor. But yeah, and in, in life, I think I, I still have a lot of negative thoughts and some positive. I don't. Honestly, like, I'll have a lot of negative thoughts. Like, my teammates would tell you I'm, like, all positive. Like, oh, I'm that guy. I'm so good. But, like, it's mostly negative. The positive speech is, like, to reinforce, like, cut out the negative. Like I said in the last one, um, like, you need to be positive because everyone else is negative or whatever. You need to be so delusional because everyone else is negative. Um, I speak positively, think negatively, and all of that is, you know, immaterial because the same way I race where I decide before. Like, I decided – you know, as a freshman or a senior in high school that I wanted to win an NCAA title. And I'm going to proceed as if that's the goal until I can't. Just like I said, it's not a failure until you're done, you know. I'm not going to take all my eligibility if I'm running like a bum next year or whatever, but, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, if at the end of next year, you know, I'm nowhere near where I want to be. You know, it's over. And then I can move on. But until that point where I'm done, I'm not done. And that makes it easy. So when I race at nationals in the three, can I get 12th against, you know, guys I've beat before and that I should be better than, you know, okay, I can be as sad as I want. The goal is still the goal. You know, I can go 1344 in California and lose to guys uh, who DM me on Instagram for advice. And the goal is still the goal. And I can get beat by Kiprop and the goal is still the goal. But everything keeps moving forward if you have a mission and, you know, the results are immaterial. You're a person who I feel like because of your personality and your openness and vulnerability and sharing your journey, you get talked about a lot, uh, mostly positive, but there's definitely negative. Um, there's negative about anyone, right? You you chase after what you want, you go after what you want, and naturally there are going to be haters along the way. I think something that maybe gets overlooked is people think that you only get hate if you're really fast or you're really popular. But reality is almost every runner experiences hate in their own form of way, whether it's like a negative teammate who doesn't like them chasing after the best version of themselves or who works harder than them or like a, a sibling or a cousin or whatever it is. Everyone experiences those doubters and those people who bring a negative force and energy into their life. So what would you tell to those people from your own experience of, of dealing with negativity and hate uh, for, for going after being a better version of yourself? I mean, sometimes people will get on me for, like, whatever. If I mess up, oh, you did bad in 3K. Oh, you ran 1344, all this and that. But first of all, my teammates are pretty, like, no one gave me more crap for the fall than my teammates in, like, a good way. So that makes it easier when someone else says something they've already come up with. I'm like, okay, whatever. I've already heard that. But the thing is, when I started making the videos, I used to, like, I'd have, like, I had, like, 26 subscribers for, I posted one video, then took a year break. And then posted, like, started posting. But when I posted that first video and then took the year break, I used to, like, wish for haters. I'd be like, I know I'm getting somewhere when I get haters. Like, when people actually care enough to say something mean. And when I first, I think I got, my first uh, hate comment was from an Air Force guy. Because 
I don't remember, but it was like some Air Force account comment something on my YouTube video. Oh, you're a pansy. And I was so happy for the first one. Now it's obviously I'm like a normal person. I don't love all my haters, all that shit, like stuff that some celebrities say. I'm not a, like, not that I am, but like, you'll see celebrities be like, I love you all, even the ones who are hating. No, you don't. I don't like haters, but you know, I used to appreciate it. And it's easy to go back and remember, I used to like really, really want the mean comments because I know they care enough to be mean. That means people care enough to be nice and people aren't. You care enough to be nice. It's great. So understanding that, you know, I have a goal and this used to be part of the goal, getting hate comments. That's the first step. And now I know I'm getting somewhere. And it's easier for me because when they're hating, it's like a bit of insecurity on their own part. I think I said this in the first one. People don't believe they can do it. So they'd love for you to not be able to do it either. And then that justifies them never trying. Um, but when you're worse, like, at it running, I used to, why are you trying so hard? Like, you're not gonna be able to do it. You can never be as good as Dylan Cox was a guy on our team. I used to look up to him. I said, 10 guy when I was going 24 minutes. You know, people said, you never, you'll never be as fast as Dylan. Never Dylan. Dylan was always supportive. Different Dylan, not Dylan Jacobs. But, you know, he was always supportive, but people said, you'll never be as fast as Why are you trying? And not in a mean way, just in like a, like it's hard. Like, why would you try? It's a waste of time to do something else. Maybe school. Because I was actually. I was raw at school. I was so good at school. But um, uh, I tried, and it worked, and a lot of people would have stopped before the trying started. So, yeah. As people know from listening to our podcast with each other, you bring almost an unparalleled amount of wisdom to each episode and intentionality to your answers and to your responses. I'm curious, where do you think you've gotten this wisdom from, and what is maybe a best piece of advice that has kind of guided your career and impacted you? I'll start with the best piece of advice. I'll try and give a different one than last time. But if I had to sum it up, if you don't give up on a bad moment, like let's say I have a bad race, I'm not allowed to give up or a bad, for whatever you're trying to do, a bad result. You can't give up until you get some sort of good result. And, you know, the high of the good result will carry you for, for as long as you can. At this point, it doesn't matter for me. I'm not going to stop until I have to stop. That's barring, you know, if I'm going 14, 30 next year, yeah, I'll call it. I'm not going to take that seventh, when I have a sixth year. I'm not going to take that sixth year, like, out of desperation. Like, let's say the next year will be the end. And then it's the end. But don't quit on a bad moment, and you'll, you'll get it for the rest of your life. I saw a TikTok today about... Uh, Stanford admissions guy who quit, who lost here for the rest of his life. You know, I don't want to do that. That's part of the reason I keep doing it. I'm not going to regret anything. If I can't do it, I'll know I couldn't do it. But to hold off on the bad moment, wait for a good one, and then call it. And I bet you won't want to call it. And then for the wisdom, you know, this goes back to the f first question, the first uh, statement about the quick fix. I really think a lot of the stuff I've learned is by failing. Obviously, I'm like, you know, not like I'm some super genius, but, you know, I've been a, like, I've moved a lot. I've been a lot of places. I've met a lot of people. It's helped me know what I need to know. And I've had really good parents, really, really good parents who taught me uh, the way to live life. But failing and failing and failing. Oh, dude, the, the decisions I've had to make just about, like, getting up in the morning. I remember... I've said in a TikTok, the hardest I ever trained was my junior year of high school, going into senior year. I'd wake up and like be on the verge of tears because we were training so hard. And obviously overtraining is stupid, stupid. 
but like but like the me- the mental fortitude i've got that from that may be the reason that you know i can do everything i've done now and so people will be like oh you overtrained would you change it no i've never gone through anything so hard in my life we practice seven days a week every day i come home from practice and uh it, it felt like the days were time between practice you know what i mean and that's just like any coach like carlson will hear that and be like well how stupid i'm like yeah how stupid but it taught me something that i wouldn't have learned and i'm very appreciative for you know every race barring this dq in the dmr because my team is the trophies every race has had a purpose and i'm glad i that it went the way it did and that's the thing like good things happen i'm glad they happen bad things happen i'm glad they happen and even if i look back at the training i used to do every training thing i used to do i did wrong so people are so quick to look for the perfect training method dude i have like this might be the first time i'm training smart you know, since August, since August, you know, this, where I came to Tennessee, Carlson's coaching me, he's a good coach. You know, now I'm training smart. Before that, I was just guessing over training, just doing my best, figuring it out along the way. And everything, I look back on it, maybe like 70% or 60% right. So everyone's looking for that 100% way to get better. Just keep trying 60% until you get, you know, and you learn along the way. So like, I did like double threshold last year, right? I was doing it wrong, very wrong. It wasn't double threshold, it was like like double intervals. I was just cutting down every day, you know what I mean? So I wasn't doing it the right way. And people would say, that'll never work, you'll overtrain. It worked enough, you know what I mean? I was overtraining in high school, burnt out, on the verge of tears every day before practice because of how hard we were running. If you, and you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. That was like probably 30% right. Got, it worked enough, you know what I mean? You don't have to look for the perfect thing, it has to work enough. Teach you the next phase. Get you above the line that I talked about in the last one. The line of like uh, where people are going to support you versus where people are not going to take you serious. Um, and if you want to gauge for how hard that summer was, junior year, maybe like imagine every day doing either six by 400 all out, four minutes rest, three by 800 all out, two minutes rest. Or two by mile all out, four minutes rest. Like, you know what I mean? Not those exact workouts, but the kind of fatigue I'd have, it was like that. I was like, at an every day was a nine, dude. It was crazy. And so, if people who are thinking about overtraining, I didn't break nine eighteen in high school. Like, obviously, that was not the way to get the best potential out of me. Overtraining, stupid. But you know, try what you have to try. It's better than trying nothing. And once you've tried everything, I've gone through like six different types of training methodologies carlson's is more standard i've had you know a coach who does threshold and then intervals that's didn't work for me i've had a coach that does miler training worked enough and yeah just find the thing that works enough you don't have to get it perfect uh and time is the equalizer like there are guys who have there are guys who have been more talented than me and showed up more uh no there have been guys who are more talented than me and run faster. And you know, everyone thought, oh, he's got it. If someone's going to do it, he's going to do it. And then he didn't do it. I did it. You know what I mean? And I never looked like I was the guy until I was the guy. And I've only been the guy once, you know, indoor last year, I'd say. You've talked about many of these lessons, and it seems like only sport could teach you some of these lessons. Do you ever reflect on how you'd be a completely different individual if it wasn't for the sport of running because of the innumerable lessons that it's taught you along the way? 
I'm very glad I ran because of how straightforward it is. Like the failing and the succeeding is like, you know what I mean? You like with soccer and stuff, you can blame your team. You can blame this. You can blame that in running. You're able to run it or you're not. The training's working or it isn't. Stuff is more black and white. And it's, the thing is early on, I was an excuse maker. I remember I played soccer and I, oh, my team sucks. I tell my dad, my team sucks. My team sucks. This is why I'm not good. Like if you put me on a better team, I could do so much better. And then I'd go to tryouts for a better team and not make it. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't good. But in running, I can't say my team sucks. I'm going 24 minutes. I'm the problem. But it just kept me more accountable. And I think it's not necessarily sport. The reason that sport is the thing that teaches people these lessons is because nothing is, nothing means more to a child or is like taken as seriously as sports. Like you don't see a 10 year old starting a business. You know what I mean? But business could teach you the same lessons. It's just sport is something that kids around the world, it can mean everything to you. Even your parent, like the, the community can get into it. It feels like life and death. And anything that fulfilled those criteria would work. You know what I mean? But sport is the one that around the world kids are doing it. And I'm glad I did, but it could have been anything else. But for me, it was running. And it had to be running because I was like, depends on your weakness. But I was, I loved excuses. You know, and when the clock shows whatever, 20 something, you're the problem. You're the problem. You've seen wrapping this incredible interview up, uh, conversation up. So many people look up to you and a lot of people, I'll say, you know, a lot of people look up to you, you know, what would you say to them? But I know for a fact, people look up to you. There was a kid who DM'd me and said he listens to our first podcast episode three to four times a week. And I said, one, please don't do that. Please don't do that. I'll, I'll get you other podcasts to listen to. But like two, that's, that's absolutely incredible. Like that one kid listens to the first episode like three to four times a week and the amount of reshares the first episode got and the thousands and thousands of listens uh, that it got. Um, you're truly making an impact. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you because you're making the world a better place. But to close out the episode, what would you tell those people listening? The thousands of people listening right now who look up to you look up to what you've done, use your career and your inspiration as validation that they can go after the best version of themselves and achieve their goals in the sport. What would you say to those people listening right now? From your heart to theirs, what's your message? It's crazy to me now that people look up to me and follow what I do and you know, even pray on my downfall. Because you know, nothing was worse than when nobody cared. But I think that even bigger than running, you know, I'm not some yeah people look up to me but it's not like it's not like i'm some perfect guy or ideal runner i think that you know people say it different ways but i try and do everything in the way where you know even if i'm not feeling like doing something do the there's someone i want to be and it's probably what everyone thinks i am like all these you know people who follow along they think i'm like oh this they don't think about the good things i try and live life where I'm the best person of myself, the best version of myself. And some people say it like that, be the best version of yourself. Some people say like, be the person you, you'd want your kids to be. I think that's why I've gotten so far. You know, some people say though, you wanna be a per person your parents are proud of, but you know, that depends. I wanna be a person my parents are proud of. All that stuff, living in a way where you're not subject to your impulses and you know, you give yourself a standard and you won't drop below it. So even when I'm running horrible, I'm above this standard. I'm going to be this type of person. When I'm tired, I'm going to be this type of person. When things are going well, you know, I'm going to treat people with this kind of respect, be this type of person. You know, and I do it a little differently. Uh, like, 
Dylan Jacobs, uh, not my high school brother, and like Grant Fisher. They're two examples of guys who are like golden boys, like poster boys. You never, you don't really see their personality. They're always thanking someone. You know, they're always super thankful. They're always super um, composed. And you know, I'm not that type of person where, oh, oh, thank you to my. Obviously, I'm very appreciative of everyone. You know, I let them know like I'm so thankful I came to Tennessee. Carlson's coaching is incredible. I don't think I'd have gone as fast as I did without it. But I think I'm more, you know, I like being a little bit more genuine. And that's why I do the YouTube stuff. Like, I don't know Grant Fisher, but Dylan is, like, such a funny guy. And you wouldn't know if you're watching his interviews. Thank you to my coaches. Thank you to my blah, blah, blah. I just like keeping it genuine, being someone my parents would be proud of, being someone my kids would be proud of, you know, and trying to be the person the best person I can be because that's all you can do. You know what I mean? If your happiness comes from winning NCs or starting a successful business or passing a class, sometimes you're not good enough to do those things. You know what I mean? Indoor, indoor, I got 12th and I, we were hoping for top, uh, my coaches probably would have said like second to seventh, second to eighth, got 12th and it was a hard 12th. You know what I mean? Not everything goes perfect. All you can do is try and be the best version of you if i you know lost it every time that i lost it like i lost it mentally every time someone beat me or i was below where i wanted to be you know it's just not the time yet and maybe at my best my very very best i won't be good enough i won't know unless i try thank you for having me it's a formula for a good life right there you seem to close out the episode one final question for you. A fun question. Uh, a listener question I got a few weeks ago, but it's very unique, so I brought it up on a few podcasts. The person asked, what is your favorite cooking utensil and why? I've always loved the fork. I think that people knock it because it's hard to eat soup, but I've been a guy who, not to make everything like super uh, metaphorical, but I like dipping the fork in and like sucking the soup off, right? Okay, pause. But sucking the soup off, and you're not getting a lot of soup, but you're enjoying it anyway. It takes more time. I don't know. And you can get spaghetti. You can cut with it. The only thing this, the spoon has on the fork is the soup stuff, but I, sw- I swear it works just the same. And if I'm eating cereal, get the cereal, drink the milk. I just like the fork. I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's no logic to it. The fork just speaks to me. And I'm not gonna say spork like some annoying. The fork, not the spork. The fork. Well, you've seen an absolute pleasure. We'll kick it back soon enough, potentially in person. Appreciate the hell out of you, man. Uh, really appreciate you. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I don't take your time for granted, and I hope that today's episode impacted you and left you walking away inspired and all the more motivated to chase after your biggest goals and walking away a better version of yourself. Make sure you're following the podcast, have given us a five-star review, and consider sharing with a friend. Through that, we can reach new people and hopefully inspire them in the process. Also, make sure you're following us on social media at The Running Effect to stay up to date on all the exciting projects and all the new episodes coming out. Generally, we release two to three episodes per week, so stay tuned for all of those coming your way shortly. I hope you're running and life is going well. Guys, keep chasing mastery, and I will catch you in next episode.